July in North Africa, heat and dust and gasoline fumes enveloping the parched air. That was the first aroma which hit my nostrils as we left the airport terminal, petroleum intermixed with arid, motionless oxygen. Up in the sky, the morning sun was at full wattage. It didn't matter that Casablanca was on the Atlantic coast. The first sensation on leaving the somewhat cooler confines of the arrival hall was, welcome to the blast furnace. We would have to arrive in hell, Paul said, as we waited at the packed bus stop for the coach into the city center. Well, you did once live here in July, right? I said. It will be cooler in Isawera. And we'll be there in just a few days. And no doubt the hotel in Casablanca has air conditioning. Don't be so sure of that. This is North Africa. Discomfort at the cheap end of the spectrum is part of the deal. Then we can find a hotel with A.C. Or we can change our plans now. What? Back in a moment. With that, he disappeared off into the crowd. I wanted to follow him, but our four sizable pieces of luggage were there in front of me. They had clothes for many weeks and all of Paul's art supplies, as well as the collection of twelve books I had envisaged myself reading while facing the waters of the Atlantic. Were I to leave the suitcases and pursue my husband, I would be inviting theft and disaster at the start of what was already shaping up to be a rather dubious adventure. So all I could do was shout Paul's name. My voice was drowned out by everyone crowded around the bus stop, veiled women, men of varied ages in ill-fitting suits, one or two backpackers, two grandfatherly types in long flowing robes, and three very dark-skinned Africans carrying their worldly goods in cheap canvas bags, making me wonder if they were here looking for work and, judging from the bewilderment sketched on their faces, as adrift here as myself. Buses, most of them ancient, came and went, belching clouds of exhaust as they heaved away towards assorted destinations. I peered into the distance, but could see no sign of my husband. Ten, fifteen minutes passed. God, maybe he really has decided to do an about-face. He's probably back inside the terminal building, using a credit card to send us home to the States. But then, amidst the crowded theater of this street scene, a tall man emerged. Paul. He was walking towards me, accompanied by a diminutive fellow who was half-shaven with a small knitted skullcap on his head, a cigarette clenched between blackened teeth. He carried a battered tin tray on which sat two stubby glasses while his other hand clutched a pot of tea. The man smiled shyly. Placing the tray on the empty space next to me on the pock-marked bench, he raised the teapot a good foot above the glasses and began ceremoniously to pour a green liquid into them. The heady, aromatic properties of the tea were immediately discernible. Té à la menthe, Paul said. Le whisky marocain. Mint tea. Moroccan whisky. The man smiled, offering me the tray with the two glasses. I lifted one of them. Paul took his and clinked it against mine. Sorry to have disappeared like that, he said. He leaned forward and placed a kiss on my lips. I accepted it as I did his hand, which he intertwined with my free one. Then I took my first sip of Le Whiskey Marocain. The mint was palatably strong, but undercut by a certain sugary sweetness. I usually dislike anything overly sweet, 
But this tea worked because of its aromatic strength and its honeyed undercurrent. After that horrendous flight and the wait in the sun, it was bombing. You approve? Paul asked. I approve. Our friend here loaned me his cell phone. There's a change of plan. What sort of change? We're going straight to Essuera. There's a bus that leaves here in 20 minutes. What about Casablanca? Trust me, you're not missing much. It's still Casablanca, a place you've talked endlessly about from the moment we first got together. It can wait. But Essuera is, what, four or five hours from here? Something like that, yeah.